And one of the things that happens at Howard is your professors be like, wait a minute, like, do you know Juanita Craft? Have you heard of Diane Nash? Do you understand Asada Shakur? You know, do you know who Ida B. Wells is? Yeah. Not only are the names on some of the buildings, but your professors, when I got there, they were like, I literally had a professor tell me, you are too smart to be so American dumb. <laughs> and I was like, what? It's like, what is that? What what does this mean? Because I did really well in school. I don't know if you're <laughs> confused or what. I don't know if and, you saw my grades, <laughs> uh, but I'm really brilliant. Send you an email. And, and and what she said to me, she said, "You can't be this comfortable knowing so little." Mm. Ooh. Ooh. And it stings the nostrils, right? Yeah. And, and I appreciated her because look, she, she challenged me because she knew I was trying to come at things the right way, but I was blind. She knew that I had the capacity for deep understanding, but I hadn't purposed it intentionally. And so when I walked with her and tried to understand what she was talking about, I really realized that she was like, you have this incredibly like Southern Christian black male view of the world and it's much bigger. And if you're gonna give us what we need out of your brain, you gotta start seeing things more clearly. This is Byron Sanders, President and CEO of Big Thought. And this is Damani Daniel, Chief Imaginator at The Event Nerd. Welcome to Casually Creative, conversations about everyday creativity and nerdiness. Welcome to Casually Creative, everybody. This is uh, your favorite co-host, Byron Sanders. See, but why do you? But why do you do that? I don't, and I don't what, can you let me finish? Can you let me? But finish? I don't. But why do, why do you? Can have to you do let that? me finish? Just let me. I mean, do I can, it. but I don't, you're going to be pleasantly surprised. I don't, you're going to be okay. pleasantly surprised. All right, let's start it over. Also, you're yelling. No, we're not going to start over. We're going to keep it going. And right. your also favorite co-host, Jay Damani Daniel. Jay, what's good? Did you really just refer to me as Jay? Like yeah, because you put it in there. Don't be a dummy. You put it's the first letter. It's the first letter, is it not? I mean, it is. But does that mean that if it's the, if the first letter of every word, you just say the Jehoshaphat, Damani, Daniel. B, hey, B. Wyron. <laughs> Blaren. Blaren. <laughs> oh, gosh. And nobody understands why we just said that. No, Yo, we will. Okay. Tell we them. have. We have a, nah, nah, we, we, we need to get into this. We'll get into That's this, fair. and That's then fair. it'll come That's up fair. naturally, organically. Um, we have a guest with us today, and uh, this guest right here, this guest right here is one of the smartest people that I know in real life. I've said that with, like, maybe two or three of the people that we brought on this podcast for real distinct reasons. I'm going to tell you something right now. This guy... In addition to be one of my best friends, he's 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 like blood almost. Um, except we're not blood, but you know it's akin That's to. That's why he said he's like blood. You like, once you say yeah, like, shut, it, shut up, discord. shut up. He's still talking. Words matter. And um, Shaquan Lewis um, is is a person who is I was immediately drawn to because what's interesting is whenever he talks and when he gets going and he gets passionate about something. It's almost like you need to get a quill to write down what he's saying. You can't just use a regular pen. You a need, quill? You need a quill. Are, are quills better at writing than regular pens yeah, of the 21st you, century? Yes, you need a quill and an inkwell. That's the only way that you can capture what this man is, is, is like dropping. And he does it just like drunk. 
You know, he's not he's not usually drunk. But it's oh my gosh. it can come out <laughs> for the record. Like, yeah. You are so you know do you know there's a there's a there's a in and I'm gonna get you sucker. They talk about how you have the theme song that follows you around. So I'd also like to imagine that there's like a hype man, an intro, a, yeah. an introductory person that's following that's right. you around. If you had a if you had a DJ crew or yeah. a band that was following you around, yeah, I want to say, yeah, you don't ever need to be anybody's hype man. No, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fair thing. But real I mean, talk. he's usually drunk, but not always. <laughs> but just sometimes. Uh, uh, he got visitation uh, on the weekends with his kids, oh, and then he does a geez. great job. He doesn't have visitation, guys. He's with the children all the time. He's <laughs> married, kids, no divorce. It's fine. Listen, Shaquan this Lewis is, is that guy. Uh, he's fantastic. We're going to learn a lot about him and his story professionally, vocationally. Uh, he's the first ever chief equity officer for Pizza Hut. CEO. That's not weird. Yeah, no, nah, no. Nah. We talking to the CEO of Pizza Hut out here in this yeah. street. Um, also, we about, we about to get Shaquan fired. Getting him fired. <laughs> <laughs> Promoted and fired immediately. Um, but, but what we're going to do is we're going to talk, uh, you're going to hear about the, 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 certainly some of the game-breaking things that he's doing at Pizza Hut, and you're also going to hear about how he got there, his journey and his big-ass brain and how that all works. And, uh, yo, we're happy to have you on the show here today, Shaquan. What's good? What's happening, guys? Thanks for having me. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. All right, so <clears throat> I told you Shaquan's, yeah, I talked to talked to you about how smart he is. Also, he's an idiot. And I can say that as, as, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of person that you want. You need to be, um, you need to be ambidextrous, right? <laughs> and he's a whole, he's a whole fool sometimes. <laughs> And and a Renaissance scholar, so mm. um, I'm interested in knowing a little bit about like your your comeuppance, right? Your, your upbringing. Where, how are you both thug and theologian? <laughs> Would that be a thugologian? <clears throat> if, it, if, it, if it needs to be, yeah. Theologian. How are Thug- you both? How are you a theologian? How's that work? It's funny that you said I was. Uh... I was giving a talk somewhere. I think it was at, I'm pretty sure it was at work. And I was explaining to people about, I'm always talking about authenticity, intentionality, humility. And I was giving a double click on each one of them. And I was and in the authenticity piece, I was telling the company, I was like, as everybody knows, you know, I am just as likely to quote Pac as I am to quote Plato. Everybody was like, that's right. That's right. And so like, this like walking contradiction that you described that's like totally my bag it just uh i'm with it it's what i it's what i am um how did i become this way it's interesting because all my family is from mississippi and so i don't even know how much well you know this big but you didn't say that right though you didn't say that right you didn't (laughs) it's miss it's mississippi Mississippi, also, yeah. You skip weird, all over whole S's. It's also this weird thing because I have these deep southern roots and then like no discernible accent, but mm-hmm. all of the affects and like actual sensibilities and practice. So it, it's a it's a bizarre thing, but like so all my people come from from like the deep deep south, and I tell people all the time my dad was the this was the brother that had to like pick cotton before he could go to school. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we got we got done with that, then he could go and do what he needed to do. Right. Um, uh, 
but I ended up growing up in Texas. So in a, in a, in a little town called Wataga, not as little as it was when I was growing up, but it's just a little bit North of Fort Worth. Um, you can see the Fort Worth line from like our house. So that's where I grew up. And um, I grew up as like a kid in public school that was really kind of trying to find his way. You know, like I had parents that went to black colleges. And so I had this, this idea of an orientation around excellence through the lens of blackness. Yeah. But pu- public schools in the 20th century were not at all prepared to, to meet that challenge. And so why? Why? Yeah. <laughs> Hold on, I'm just, about? wait. Hold on. You said public schools in the 20th century were not prepared to meet that challenge. Are you therefore intimating that public schools in the 21st century are? No, I'm just talking about my story. I have a oh, lot okay. to just, say. Just, just, just I have a lot to say about public schools today. Um, <laughs> on today. But, on, on today. On today. Mm, but, but what yes, was even more particular? What was even more particular about my school? So I went to Halton High School. I also had no conception of the ways in which, like where we went to school was like the block block until I got to Howard. Yeah. Um, to make a long story short though, when I got to Howard really is when I started to walk into like all the things that I, that I think that I am that, that you know, because yeah. growing up where I grew up, it was this thing where it's like, Oh man, um, you know, you were, you go to a school within a school because you're in this honors program and you're right. one of, Two and a half black people. Yeah, are, I, was, I, was, I was wondering, what's it like going from Halton City to uh, Black Peopleville? <laughs> it's a fun, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story about what what George Bush said to me about Halton City one day. But um, what flex? But, you said flex. I was about to say. I was like, flex. can we do a flex? And he, and he just, I mean, he just did it. He was just like, it was real, it's real funny what George Bush said to me one day about Halton City, <laughs> Georgia. I, now I'm not going to tell you the story. Here are my little fi- and here are my middle fingers. Um, but what happened, but so by the time I get to Howard, um, this is the moment in which like being fully black, fully nerd come together in a way that I had literally not seen. Mm. And so what happened for me for four years at Howard was learning to like deeply appreciate and like make space for all the things that were actually me. And so here I am at age 37 showing up in the ways that Byron's talking about. Byron has seen that, known that about me for a really long time. But I'm specifically trying to show up in that way at work so I can make space for other people mm. to show up with what, what might feel like they're contradicting. Yeah, because yeah. the reality is all of us is more than what we show on the surface. Yeah. It's about where do we feel safe showing which part of us at which given time. And so me trying to let all that out now is a critical part of the work I'm trying to do in my space. So one of the things that, that uh, you'll come to know as you as you learn more about Shaquan is, uh, is just how important Howard factors into, um, into that, the. into that world. The H U. And then I think y'all say something you know. after that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And then when somebody first said that in my head, I was like, I don't. So I don't, I mean, or also, <laughs> I mean, I, I do. Yeah. You I know it. Cause you just said it. Unaware. That's why I know it. Um, but, but as you, as we, as we kind of piece together that story, um, what's what's really interesting is what you said, and we actually recently had a conversation about this. The unique HBCU experience is something that I think is um, is probably unlike anything else in the world, right? It's 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 so unique, and not just unique for for you know school or undergrad or, or whatever. Like I don't I don't know of another other place that pulls together all of those different elements, right? Where you're in the, probably the coolest time of your life. Yeah. At the same time, you're also in 
the blackest time of your life uh, by design, right? Like, you know, some people, you can grow up in the hood sometimes and still get to an HBCU and it's like explicitly blacker because, like, <laughs> you know. Well, I would argue it's explicitly blacker because it represents to the point that Shaquan made all the varied nuances of the black experience. Whereas living right. in a certain area might only expose you to one aspect of the black experience. You right. go to HBCU and you can be thug, you can be theologian, you can be nerd, yeah. you can be, or you can be all those things. Thug, theologian, right. nerd. Right. Uh, and you're you're in a you're in a uh, you know a, a philosophy class with a with you know some of the top black scholars in the world, and then also you go to the cafeteria, and you know black people there too, right? Like you're, you're literally it's blackness, blackity yeah. blackity black black black, um, and every single the, you know the entire spectrum of that. I'm interested. Dive a little bit deeper into that, man. Like what yeah. what did you truly get out of uh, out of your Howard time? Um, man, I, I hate to sound like overly philosophical, but like me, really, um, you know, I, I'll never forget when I made the decision to go to Howard, people were like, man, why would you go waste your four years on a black school when you could go to do this? And how would this stuff ever happen afterwards? But I felt, I felt a call to, to go there. And um, I literally can say I, I, I came out of it in 2005 when I left. I came out of it in a full and deep appreciation of like, the things that I didn't feel comfortable with in myself and some of these primarily white spaces Um, with owning the things about myself that I hadn't had a chance to figure out because no one had put material in front of me, like Pan-Africanism and some of these other things. Right. Um, And most importantly, I think what I got out of it is I got out of it that one of the things that happens outside of the space that I had been in in HBC world was all of these different people, some of them black, trying to define what blackness looked like and what blackness felt like. Mm. And people randomly making themselves the arbiter of being black enough or whatever enough, right? And in this space, we put together this real rich tapestry of what the diaspora looks and feels like. And, you know, I tell people all the time, I went to class with, I, w- I went to class literally with dudes who were trapping and also Nigerian princes. Like that was happening in the same space because yeah. that is all of us. That's all of our story, right? Yeah, and, so and cappers me, too, and, and and even cappers. <laughs> believe it or not, horrible. believe Y'all it or horrible. not. And some of the cues went to class, Byron. What? Unpressed. I did not know we have, that. We have just. It's uh, not what Wikipedia uh, says. We have just offended all of our. Um, Black fraternities. Yeah, all, all of our divine nine. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. They have all it's united fine. against us. Yeah, so, we love y'all. We love y'all. We love yeah, y'all. Man, Most of y'all. Most on, of y'all. On this side of the yard, like, it's all, like, one big fraternity, candidly. Like, when you're out here and, like, yeah. people are, like, you know, people looking at cats like Jalen Hurts me, did, like, the Omega thing. And they're like, right. man, he really likes Gene Simmons. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> what, what, is, what is this world? Um, but yeah. just to put a bow on your question, though, be, um, you know, getting myself looked and felt like really coming out of this place with a much deeper, richer respect for um, what black people have meant to like, not just this nation, but to this world. I was really able to put black womanhood in a much richer context than mm. candidly a lot of the men in my life had given us the space and the tools to do. And then I think I came out of it feeling that not just that I had the permission to, to, to purport to lead for an America and the global community, but feeling like I actually had the, had the, had the right to do it. And in fact, potentially the obligation to do it. That's and that why is I was a good. part of being black as well. 
That's where I was going to go, man, because I, I, I was hoping that this would come up um, <clears throat> organically because I know that that's also a really important, your, uh, important part of your identity. And you're very intentional about a lot of these things, um, even so much so where um, it, there's, a, there's a panel that, that you've invited me to be on and we're going to be doing that. We just had our, um, um, we just had our, our, our planning meeting, right? And yeah. there's, a, there's a few things that you do that shows up and um, I think it's reflective of your perspective toward women. A um, couple things. One, the panel that you put together has two of the most dynamic black women that, that you or I yeah. know. Um, <gasps> Amber Sims, Lana Hebert. And, um, and it's going to be a dope conversation. It just is. Uh, but you also brought in your, um, some people would call them executive assistants, right? or secretaries, right? But you didn't. And you also brought her into the conversation um, as an equal. How do you introduce her? Say that real quick. I call her my admin partner. Yeah. Little, tiny, right? It's a detail. And also um, pretty damn significant when you're talking about reshaping and... and, and, um, altering norms so if you could i know that's a tiny little thing and she's not a black woman but i but i want to i want to enter into this by kind of using that as an example of some of the small ways that you tweak not just these big overarching game-changing policies but also in the little things and how you are trying to set new norms i'll get into a few others as well but but talk a little bit about why you make those kinds of decisions Intention, intentionality is everything in this space. And one of the things that I've really done, um, the more fortunate I've become in corporate contexts and in you know, other leadership contexts, the more it causes me to deeply evaluate how I've come into some of these spaces and deeply evaluate the responsibility that comes with the opportunities that I've had. And um, for me, man, like I'm so fortunate to have a wife and the friends like Alana, friends like Amber who helped me and prodded me along this way. But um, I've come to really recognize the extent to which it's incumbent upon men in particular who have even a scintilla of power or influence to be incredibly and overtly intentional about the ways in which we hold space and elevate voices and magnify and, 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 and afford additional dignity to the work that women are doing in our spaces. And when you look at people who are traditionally called like executive assistants, like when you really think about what Stephanie does for me, um, she's as important to me as anyone who helps me get anything done. And more than just like helping me figure out my time and keep my head on straight, I want to understand what else is there that I can get out of her. And when you don't do something like that, I feel like it'd be a betrayal of what I'm trying to do in a role like mine. Mm -hmm. Because um, it's very easy for, for, I'm going to talk about brothers for a second. It's very easy for brothers to be like, man, Nobody's got it worse than us and everything that we do and the freedom struggle has got to be me first and it's got to be about me and then this is going to come next or whatever. And um, I just believe that when I analyze sort of the comparative privilege that I've been afforded as a straight Christian black male who had a chance to go to to cool schools, um, I have to see what I'm doing to unpack and really interrogate the power structure that exists and hovers over everything. So one of the comparative entry points for me is to look at the way I'm showing up for women and receive the challenges that I get sometimes in love for them to say, 
you're not using your power right and uh, getting out of the way and getting off of sort of my, my toxically masculine horse and hearing and understanding the ways in which I can show up. And so it shows up in moments like that with the way I, way I call Stephanie. And it shows up with trying to bring people to the table and making sure that they have the space to, uh, to demonstrate their highest and best use as well, irrespective of whether or not they had the keys to the room or had the microphone in the first place. You know? Did you write that down, Damani? Did you get your quill out? I recorded it. Cool. That's, <laughs> that is because it's that, a because it's a podcast. Yeah, um, that's la- so, this is lazy, but I mean it's 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 li- it's literally what we're doing. Right no, that's now. fair. That's fair. So I, as I'm as I'm hearing that, I'm receiving that. Um, I then want to then go back to how did how that if you could get into some of the detail, yeah. how did your time at Howard? impress upon you one the the obligation because I, I i was going to say that you're 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 third level on that it's not like you know the the need the desire i think you feel a responsibility yeah. um where did all that come from specifically from your from your experience in college howard was a deep anthropological archaeological experience for me and so you go into Howard viewing the lens of our history as black people, for example. And I know our history is American history, but let me just keep it black for a second. Yeah. And just, just, just interrogate for a second the names that you hear when you try to think about the folks that have directed the trajectory of our history. Malcolm X, Martin King, A. Philip Randolph. Dude, 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 penis, 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 right? <laughs> and penis! One the, you know what I'm saying? And, and one of the things that happens at Howard is your professors like, wait a minute, like, do you know who Juanita Craft? Have you heard of Diane Nash? Do you understand Asada Shakur? You know, do you know who Ida B. Wells is? Yeah. Not only are the names on some of the buildings, but your professors, when I got there, they were like, I literally had a professor tell me, you are too smart to be so American dumb. <laughs> and I was like, what is like, what is that? What what does this mean? Because I did really well in school. I don't know if you're <laughs> confused or what i don't know if and, you saw my grades uh, uh, but i'm really brilliant send you an email and, and and what she said to me she said you can't be this comfortable knowing so little mm. ooh, ooh, and it's things the nostrils right yeah and and i appreciated her because look she she challenged me because she knew i was trying to come at things the right way but i was blind she knew that I had the capacity for a deep understanding, but I hadn't purposed it intentionally. And so when I walked with her and tried to understand what she was talking about, I really realized that she was like, you have this incredibly like Southern Christian black male view of the world and it's much bigger. And if you're gonna give us what we need out of your brain, you gotta start seeing things more clearly. So how do you, how did you, um, you know, cause you, you were raised in a way that you were raised, right? Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> we haven't really talked about and I don't know that we even need to talk about like what, if anything, in your upbringing led you to have that mindset. Because the reality is that's a mindset that's kind of inherent and, and kind of endemic to the system. Really common. That's but yeah. but that's what are the things that you uh, actively and passively did to do that deconstruction, to do that work? And when your professor said that to you, your professor says that to you, and okay, what do you do with that? You can be like, I'm smart. Look at my grades. But you had to do the work to yeah. deconstruct those 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 mind prisons. I heard that in a, in a, yeah. in a yoga class one time. Okay. Um, okay. 
I've never taken a yoga class. I'm about to say, you're lying. Pure. You're a liar. It, I, yeah, I know true. for a it's fact true. that you, you've not gone to any yoga classes. I mean, there was a YouTube yoga that I okay, did one time cool. with, cool. with, with with my four Count it. <laughs> Count it. So no, but <laughs> in the Holiday Inn Express last night. So you know. And they have a yoga channel on the TV. So right. I'm right. basically a yogi. But yeah, how, why, what led you to that deconstruction? Yeah. Um, well, I started reading the things that she put in front of me. That'll do it. And um, interrogating and then asking the women that I was close with, how do I show up? And, and this, was the, this was the hard part because for a dude who has nothing but sisters and is a mama's boy and has always been like, oh, I'm such a gentleman or whatever. Yeah, you're there, bro. You were already there. <laughs> I had some sisters that, says, that, that said and even today say some challenging things to me. Yeah. So the first thing I had to do was like really try to drape my spirit in humility so yeah. I can receive these things. Because like, you know, I, I just wasn't, I wasn't hearing some of these things. And so then what I started trying to do is I started trying to center the experience and center the perspectives and seed power and yeah. seed microphones and seed podiums to women who I was like, if I'm looking and understanding the, the, the impact of the arc of history that these women have had in times past, mm-hmm. who am I to be in the way and not be making space and creating space for people like that now? And it, it is it is not so of an elegant thing to say as it is. It's much simpler than we expect sometimes. Like, be quiet and sit down and listen and yeah. then receive what people have to say. And then as I, as I tell, you know, our white brothers and sisters in the racial context, then you ask someone, what does it mean for me to be not an ally, but a co-laborer? How do I pick mm. up a shovel and dig? Now, don't grab a shovel and just go jump in there and start doing it if you haven't seen the plans. You mm. go ask someone who's invested in the project. Yeah. And so for me, what I've had to do is like, ask women to help me not to put work on them to educate me but show up with what i've done and what i've tried to learn and ask now what does it mean for me to operationalize this and actualize it in a way that's liberating for you because the liberation project is something that's got to be collective ultimately so so you have this experience which i would say was pretty transformative in your life um you go then from howard to harvard um he's he's the fan of alliteration yeah i Halton, yeah, Howard. to Howard. My, my elementary school was Hardeman. Oh, bro! I, really? Wow! You're like, wow. if it ain't got an H, then I don't want to do it. Hear it. That's it. Right. All right. Yeah. So you go from Howard to Harvard, which is give me an H word uh, that's also different. I, I don't know what you're trying to say. Yeah, Highly. Hold on, Shaquan, Shaquan, hey, do me a favor. Can you give me a word right now for what I'm thinking about in this moment? Give me shut a up, word. Shut up, shut up, the mic. You, you really, I'm going to cut your mic. I can't. But you can't. I, if I, I figured it out, I'm going to figure it out before we're done with this podcast. It's not true. All right, so you go from Howard to Harvard. And then Harvard, um, so you, you went from Wakanda to, um, what's the whitest place I can think of? Texas. Boston. <laughs> I mean, just say it. Boston. Actually, just say where Harvard actually actually is. Oh, also, yeah. oh, also that. Yeah, also that. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, no, it's fair. So you went from Wakanda to, let's just say Harvard. And to then, Harvard. Um, <laughs> um, so, you know, that was different. Predominantly white institution. Um, yeah. Top of the top of the top because you're there for law school. 
and it's the number one law school in the uh, country, um, oftentimes ranked as the number one in the world. Um, and here's this little colored boy from Haltom, Wataga, Funky Town, the funk, um, up there. You had this almost black liberation experience, right? Yeah. And now, now you're here. Um, which I know for a fact, you've got great relationships from your time uh, there as well, and you got a lot from it. What's the con- what's the uh, what's the contrast, and what did you get from it? Yeah, the contrast. Um, there's certainly well, just one quick note. In between Howard and Harvard, I actually was in business for four years, and I was right. Don't, if it doesn't have an H in it, don't say the name. Though. It doesn't have an H in it. Then don't say the name of the company. Okay. So I worked at Company X. And I was company, there H. company H. Company H. Company H. Company H. You really failed on that one, Shaquan. Yeah, I blew like, that Yeah, you blew that one badly. I blew that. I curved myself. Um, I worked, so I was there for four years. I was in the Atlanta office for two years, then in the headquarters for, for, for two years. Mm-hmm. I bring this up to make two points. One, I had a really transformative experience in my first managerial role in Atlanta at this, at this company where I was managing people who had like been at the company longer than I'd been alive. Yeah. And it was folks who, anything ranged from folks who were were retired warehouse vice presidents to people who never had a chance to finish high school. And I had an opportunity to look at that moment as a book ended experience with my, with, with what I was like before I went to Howard Candy. Yeah. And how could I use what I learned at Howard that was still authentically me to purpose against trying to lead with humility a group of people who just needed something to to become a high-performing team? That experience, plus the stint that I had in the Chicago office where I was leading all of our national employment work, including like a diversity um, initiative at the time. As a 12-year-old, basically. (laughs) I was was young. Yeah, Um, yeah it was an important springboard to me for Harvard. So it's like this upbringing, Howard, the lights are on. Now it's like practicum, yeah. right? Like how do I still show up in this way and like help people become like the best version of themselves without checking who I am at the door. Yeah. So then I get to Harvard, which is a little different way to arrive than a lot of my classmates, candidly, because especially back then, most people were K through JD. And so like having worked for four years, I was already a little bit different. That's right. Um, you know, 10% of us are black. That was different. And then like where I was working, I, I intentionally didn't go to like an iBank or to a consulting firm. That's so right. like, I showed up from a, like a decidedly more blue collar like experience, if you will. Yeah. And so for me, two things came out of the Howard experience that, that I think were a critical contrast. One, it reminded me to be careful about the expectations that I set for people. Because what I walked away from Harvard with was a surprising number of like friends that are like lifelong friends, as you know, Byron, yeah, yeah. that I, was, I, did, I went there close to that, expecting that it was going to be all competition, that it was going to be like, you know, these cats that went all to these sharks. Phillips. So, yeah. so let me ask this. Okay, yeah. so um, was your upbringing, Halton, yeah. very black or very white? Um, my immediate family is like I was like very black, but like my first like really close black friend was like my freshman roommate at Howard. So okay, okay. My life so you, was pretty was pretty white. So you were raised in a in a predominantly white environment, right? Um, you then make the 
decision to go to a all black environment let's say predominantly yeah all um black environment you then work in a mixed space yeah and so to me as i'm just listening it sounds like the mixed space that you found yourself in at the conclusion of your time in college was uh additive right you had your white space you had your yeah. black space then you had your white black space and then you chose to go to a white space and then you chose to get involved, is, is that the point at which you decided to get involved in equity work more intentionally? Or like, how is this, 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 this back and forth between black space, white space, black space, white space, both space, black space, what is, unpack that a little bit and, and if, and how that has influenced your work in the equity space. Yeah, I think certainly the first time I had a chance to try to professionally be a practitioner was in that, that Chicago space. And so the, the, the last two years of that time after Howard and before Harvard, um, in terms of how that affects the equity work or how that turned the light on for the equity work, it's an interesting question. And I think what happened with the equity work as I'm doing it now, it, you wouldn't recognize it com if you compare it with what I was doing in 2007, candidly. And so I'm not trying to do dodge your question, but I feel like I want to make this point. In 2007, and I was using the language diversity on purpose, mm -hmm. and I use the language equity now on purpose. Yeah. In 2007, I was focused exclusively on, on representational progress. And in 2020 and 2021... Getting the numbers up, right? I'm, like, I need more black people, I need yeah, more I mean, that's, Hispanic. Yeah, yeah. That, that was the state of, of play at the time, especially yeah, in like a recruiting role. Mm -hmm. But in 2020, 2020 2021, I'm looking at equity as an opportunity to like deeply interrogate the systems and the policies and the procedures and our processes that I believe inevitably generate one of two types of outcomes, equitable or inequitable outcomes. Yeah, and so what fair. you see through this windy journey, uh, Jehoshaphat, Damani, Daniel, <laughs> what you see through this. How did, how did you know? <laughs> Pizza Hut has spies. Telling you, be careful with the pepperoni. Watch um, out. What you, what you see through that journey is me having the opportunity to reckon with the ways that people's lived experience varies wildly through the dimensions of race and class and gender and all these other things and recognizing the ways in which institutional responses to inequity can be insufficient and using the sum total of those experiences, including my time as a practicing attorney for, for six years to deeply recognize and evaluate what might it look like to try to point an institution with a meaningful footprint towards a righteous path. So this is what I'm doing now feels like an unexpected but totally logical culmination of all these experiences and what I, what I learned about myself, but also what I learned about the world and the way that various people are engaging with our power structures and with our society. So y'all sell pizza. Sorry, I mean, but yeah, so right. you know, right. I mean, my pizza, you know, I like my pizza diverse. Um, with pepperonis. I mean, the diversity that I want on my pizza is pepperoni, mushrooms, and jalapenos. Yeah, why does um, but an pizza distribution of uh, of each? Yeah, I mean, I got a, I, I live in a predominantly black and Hispanic neighborhood. I got a pizza hut, I'm like, what that's that seems equitable. Um, yeah, so what's up? Yeah. I love the I love the question, like, the question actually excites me because. Um, I'll, I'll never forget when I took the job. Listen, when I took the job, I remember I remember people saying like, because at the time my first job there I was running our domestic franchising practice very similar from the legal side, right? 
Yeah. And, <laughs> and I was just like, I remember having like a ton of stress about these M and A transactions. And this woman who worked on my team was like, Shaquan, it's just pizza, right? <laughs> and, and so I was like, right, it's just pizza, it's just pizza. But as yeah. I as I as I sit here in 2021, I'm like, well, when I connect back to like the role that a place like Pizza Hut played in my life as a bucket kid, who a lot of times the way that pizza came to our house was come through, read, yeah, right, like um, that was you like, earning your keep, bro. Absolutely, and it was it was it was necessary if you want to have it sometimes because like, listen, my parents made it incredibly, my parents did so well with where they came from and what they had for us. But like there were times where that was the way can't yeah. be right. That's right. But I'm reminded of like what that did for like my love of reading, for example. Mm-hmm. And I was like, as I came into this role and really wrestled with whether I would take a role like this and, and come out of what I was doing, which was, you know, leading our pizza Hut express business our non-traditional yeah. business. Yeah. I was just like, what is the proposition that can make me want to do something like this? And that proposition was, what if, what if large market actors purported to lead with moral clarity? What implications might that have for society? Uh, what, what implications might it have for the folks that work at these companies? Mm-hmm. What implications yeah. might it have for the people who we depend on for the food transaction? And what implications might it have for the communities that we serve? the communities that we live in and that our employees and our franchisees and our franchisees employees live in. And trying to work against that proposition is like the culmination of what I'm trying to do in this right now. And so the reason is like, why should Pizza Hut have something to say about it? We've literally, with some of the anti-racist work that we've stepped into, Mm -hmm. have had people tell us to shut up and make pizza, essentially, right? Yeah. Well, we don't have have the right to be quiet anymore. Mm. We don't have the right to pretend like everything is okay. We don't have the right to pretend like a company who from 1958 to 2020 very much finds itself a product of like the, you know, the generic American dream. We don't get to sit idly by and act like we can't have something to say to reach more people and to feed more possibilities and to build more communities and to lead with more purpose. So, And, and also, you know, Papa John's was... You're racist. You don't have you don't have to admit to that because I don't want to get you in trouble. I'll yeah, say you don't have to you, 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 don't even say nothing, Shaquan. Don't say nothing. His mouth is closed. But uh, I, I am going to talk. I'm I'm going to talk about Pizza Inn. I'm going to talk about Pizza Inn. <laughs> the, the thing that just came out like today, bruh, bruh. Jesus. Look, look. Like, first of all, that is. I'm sorry. That is like they should have just shut up. Contrast. They, they right literally there. did not have to say anything. Like it's it's like what is like those memes that say no one pizza in the election was a fraud bruh I was like that what? that is literally when i need you to shut up and make pizza because your pizza ain't even that good bruh first of all sorry first of all your twitter has four thousand followers for a purportedly major brand like my kid has don't, 4, say, don't say nothing Shaquan. don't say nothing don't don't get in trouble let look, byron do this look and then and then and then when you come out you obviously did not know who uses twitter because the people who or, use or who eats your pizza or who eats your pizza the the 12 the 27 people who have ordered pizza in in the last 12 months you didn't know that they didn't want to hear that also shut the hell up and they and then they went and tagged after they start getting roasted they start tagging all of these you know all of these conservative politicians they're like am i right am i right what do you say? No, no, 
Also, <laughs> also, also, the pizza just was never really that good. It's you true. couldn't tell me what a Pizza Inn logo looks like right now. I mean, you probably can't right now because they're getting a lot of press. But it's been twenty <laughs> years since I ate it, it, at least twenty years since I ate a Pizza Inn slice at least, and I've eaten some random ass slices of pizza. Right, <laughs> we've had the rectangles from school with corn pizza. Pizza and with corn. It's called pizza, pizza wedge. Is what it's called in uh. Also, also, I'm from Brooklyn, so we're not about to get into a conversation about pizza. Um, no, you're right. You're right. That's fair. We're That's not fair. doing that. That's fair. Uh, so, so but, but bottom look, line look, is, though, I, they took a stance and didn't work out. They tried to say something, but what they really trying to say. And what does that look like for you, though, right? You know, Pizza Inn, Papa John's, you know, joke, we joke about these. Yeah. They have said something. You're sitting here saying that it was not, Pizza Hut did not have the right to, sh- to not say something, right? As a part of, as, a, as arguably an, an integral part of American culture, I can throw the shade all day at, you know, that pizza versus New York pizza, and I will, New York pizza's better. But um, at the end of the day, like, they had a, they, you wanted to say something. Why did but but why in the decision to say something was the decision to say something did the decision to say something manifest itself in hiring a black Ivy League educated uh, black uh, black uh, black educated black uh, <laughs> uh, dude to come in you know and black? say it was black. He's wearing a black shirt, y'all. I know you can see that. <clears throat> all black everything. He's sitting uh, in a black room. He turned out all not. the lights. He's not. Don't do that. He's black. You know, here, here, here's what I think. I think I think we got to a point where, you know, I'm I'm proud to say, like, especially having been here for almost five years, you know, we didn't we didn't wake up and start trying to have conversations about race and about justice and about these things this summer. Mm. Um, like we, we we didn't we're not new to this. But I do think that we found ourselves at a point in time in the organization where we said what if we what if we could be more focused on this and what mm-hmm. if we could um, invest against the proposition that a leader could build something programmatic that could move our culture and move our business the cool thing is i got a chance to design what this looks like and what it feels like yeah and so there are times where it manifests itself in uh, like today i've done some things to hold space for people um, some of this is to turn people's lights on and to make sure they you know they get a chance to feel heard and seen and know that we're a company of humans leading other humans. Sometimes it's like, I know that there are experiences that like I had with this, watching the storming of the Capitol, for example, as a black man that no one else may have the courage to say yet in a, in a corporate space. And so I'll say it so people know that there's light given to perspectives like that. But, that, but the idea is to have someone and a team of people, um, Byron's met one of them, thinking about what does it look like to uh, turn us towards the intention that we have, which is to be a franchisor of choice, an employer of choice, and a neighbor of choice. And so what I get to do is almost kind of like a dream job, notwithstanding how emotionally exhausting yes. it is in, in yeah. moments like this. Like it's very, it's way more emotionally taxing than I gave it credit for at the outset. But the idea was like, what, w- what would happen if the person who had been you know, leading this 1500 store business um, was able to apply the level of intentionality to affecting our culture and affecting the way that we show up in the marketplace as well. And so I, some of this stuff I'm still building on the fly, you know what I mean? But yeah. that that was where we came from. And I'm going to make mistakes along the way. I'm sure I have made mistakes, but 
um, get an opportunity to, to, to dedicate time and intention into resources against, you know, not just not just not just statements on social media. Yeah. Right. Sometimes that's something to do. Like there have been times where I've drafted a note that we showed up on on LinkedIn or put it on Facebook or things like that. But yeah. um, thinking deeply about what it means for the people who go to work here and when is it time to say something to the company all at once? When is it time to tell my colleagues in the C-suite to go hold small discussion spaces? Like thinking about and navigating that stuff is a big part of um, doing that. And just the final point on this, on your question on Damani is the, the why me part. I think it was an opportunity for us as well to not just have someone who cares about the topic, but has some credibility in our space as well okay. because yeah. because everybody's in, everybody's in different places on the journey right yeah and so for some people i do think it's, it's easier to listen if like you know this person was leading MA transactions and then they were running a PL here and they're saying okay here's how we do this as opposed to someone who only had one thing in their bag it shouldn't be that way but for some people i think it's more useful for you to have had a lot of arrows in your quiver i guess so i want to give a little bit of context to that <clears throat> because he won't Cause he 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 ain't gonna brag on himself, but I'm gonna go ahead and do it. I'm gonna brag on you. Say something. So, um, um, Shaquan before this role, immediately before this role, so he's actually had three major roles, if I'm not mistaken, um, since he got to Pizza Hut. One, he came in, he was doing a lot of the legal transaction, doing some of them M and A, you know, business legal stuff. Right? He wasn't GC, but he was doing a lot of legal business work. Uh, but then eventually. He got to be in a place where he was actually running the business unit for Pizza Hut Express. And the way Pizza Hut works is you have your franchisors who have their businesses going. And then the the company, the corporation, has their own Pizza Huts as well. Shaquan was running that whole thing. Is it global or did you take care of U.S.? So we were, just to, to put a, a finer point on it, so we have the franchisors who run their stuff. Then we have a whole license business. Right. And the license, the license business is, it's not one that we run. We have a small number of corporate stores, like 20 something. Mm-hmm. The 1500 stores, the business that I ran with that is, they were licensees, but these were folks who were like, your target is a licensee, Cinemark is a licensee. So when you see us in these non-traditional spaces, that's mm-hmm. the express business. That was, that was, the, that was what my team was running. Got it. <clears throat> Got it. Was that global or was that, uh, was that domestic? So it was all the United States, but all the military bases as well. So we were in a couple of different theaters, like PAC and some other places. Dope. So um, you got this young kind of wonderkind who comes into the organization, keeps getting elevated opportunities. And when I tell you, like, you know, Shaquan didn't grow up studying pizza, right, or the pizza business. But he's he's a guy who picks things up fairly quickly. And every time he opened his mouth, it sounds like what you've been listening to here. And so people are like, who the hell is that guy? Right. That, that, you, there's always the the first, uh, you know, um, comic book exclamation points that come up on people's heads when, when he starts talking. You're like, oh, OK, interesting. That's interesting. Tell me your story, man. Right. It shows up like that. Over time, he's gotten more and more opportunities. And so it wasn't like you were angling for this role when you first came into the into the company. Um, then George Floyd happened. Right. Yeah. George Floyd happens. And that changes things at the organization. Um, your CEO, Artie. Artie's a white, was he in his early 50s? 40. 40s. Yeah, he's in his 40s. Young guy. Mid 40s. Yeah, mid 40s. Young That's just guy. Rude. Yeah, That's I know. Just rude. It gets on my nerves. CEO just... of this global brand. 
Um, I, w- I, I don't think I'm outing him. You know, he's he's trended conservative most of his life politically on the political spectrum, things like that. Um, but you end up being who he says, we got to get Shaquan for this. This is Shaquan's thing. And not just him, but also Yum says the same thing. Pizza Hut is owned by Yum Brands. Um, w- w- why... Why you, when you did not come into this saying, yo, diversity, equity, inclusion is my jam, and I'm waiting for my shot to make that happen. How did your name get to be the one that was drawn? I think I, once I started to put, once I started to recognize that I feel like I had a voice that was heard at Young, um, and credit goes to, you know, people like Artie, there's a woman named Lauren Leahy, White, a white woman who's our chief legal officer, who's a more than an ally, a champion, a true co-labor, all those sorts of things, yeah. um, put me in spaces to to make impact on our culture and our business, such that you you, you know how there are times when you find that you know people listen when mm-hmm. I talk. What what I what I tried to do way in advance of this stuff happening, like because like one George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Maude Arbery. The names go on and on and on. This isn't new. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, I've tried to use my voice, which sometimes can feel singular, um, like as a black man in a space like yeah. that. Um, I've tried to use my voice to, all I know how to describe it is speak truth to power. And so what I, what I, I have gotten off the bus in this organization writing publicly and speaking about the issues of the day and challenging the organization in love and um, trying to show up for people and use at the time whatever little power I had to turn folks' lights on and sitting with people and being patient with people who have different lived experiences and saying, no, listen to this and trying to direct people towards what I thought was a righteous path. And so I think that folks saw that setting aside the business results, I'd have the organizational credibility to try to call people, not just not call people out, but call people into something because yeah. that's what I had been, that's what I had been doing. And so that plus some of these other things, I think made people feel like this was the time, this was the moment. And the other thing I'd say, Byron, is that the organization doesn't conceive of this as like a, as a throwaway or an ancillary role, yeah, um, which was important to me. And they, you know, folks view this as a natural step, a natural progression for someone who, who can continue to have a really big impact in our business. Um, doing the other things I've been doing before and, and other unique things. And so conceiving this that way gives you some permission to, to bring someone in uh, who have been doing work in different spaces to do something like this. So I want to, but what does that mean, right? So you're sitting here, you're, you're, you're very educated many times over. Uh, you've had a legal career, you've done all these things. And so there's verbiage that you use that is um, authentic to the spaces that you found yourself in, right? But what does it mean to be the chief equity officer of Pizza Hut? My kids had Pizza Hut for dinner on Friday, okay? Yeah. They're thank, thank perch- you. You're welcome. You're welcome. I paid your salary. You're welcome. The whole um, thing. The whole <laughs> thing. <laughs> Right there, that, that one pizza. No, but let's talk you know, to kids. him like like people talk about the uh, uh, you know city councilman. I pay your salary, right? Um, but my kids had pizza. Yeah. Their my wife's decision to order that pizza, their ability to eat that pizza was not impacted 
by whether or not Pizza Hut was equitable. So my question, I hear all the fancy words. I hear what you're saying about how Pizza Hut wants to hold space. and But what does that mean? You are the chief equity officer at Pizza Hut. How do you walk and live that out on a daily basis? What does your team actually do? Yeah. So we're focused on three things. Who we are as a franchisor, who we are as an employer, and who we are as a neighbor. And that, that, that shows itself as mother strategy. But let me double click on this so you, so you know where I'm coming from. So let, let me take the as an employer piece first, because like, we really operate as some distinct things. As an employer, it's critically important that our organization um, reflect and lead with values that are befitting who we think we ought to be when we say that we're a leader in the industry and when we're a company that, that can lead from the front. So it looks like a couple different things. One, it looks like what does it mean from uh, a hiring and a talent management perspective? We want to make sure that we are being deeply intentional about the way that we bring folks in, obviously, deeply intentional about the ways in which we uh, grow our talent. We want to be really intentional about looking at things like attrition rates and looking at things like promo rates and figuring out where inequities lie and understanding what the question is underneath that that's leading to those outcomes. Because honestly, this is a thing where even though you didn't see it and feel that when you ate your pizza that night, um, we're failing. We're failing as an organization if the work that we're doing doesn't start with the people that we depend on to manage our business and manage our relationship with our franchisees. And so it's got to mean something that I, that my job exists for a person who is working in tech support yeah. for a person who is a, who is a, a junior marketer, right? So there are a bunch of things in that bucket around talent management, talent acquisition, all those sorts of things. But even in that employer bucket, there's a really critical piece of work that that's got to happen about what does it mean for our environment to be what it should be in the 21st century. And so this is where we step into space, like, making sure that we're not doing like just like generic diversity training, but actually doing work with organizations like the Imagining Freedom Institute, for example, here in Dallas, to really bring people into an experience to talk about what it means to build an equitable community. There's a big teaching component for that. Yeah. There's a radical reimagining of what the workplace can look and feel like component, because what we also believe is that like, yes, our workspace has to be a place that leads with equity, but my hope, my ambition my responsibility is to try to create people who are going and doing that at their own dinner tables and their own neighborhood associations mm-hmm. and at their own PTAs and all these other sorts of things. Right. And so by thinking about setting our intentions as an employer on what it would look like to be the most equitable company in the world, that's a critical, important piece of that, of that work. Now, let me bring you to the franchisor piece. Okay. The franchisor piece is there are two things happening here. One, Remember, 99% of, of, of my domestic business is franchised. And so that means mm-hmm. that I've got 105 franchisees who are employing the people that you and your wife got that pizza from. There's a great, maybe it was the case here, but there's a great chance that that's not going to ever be a, an employee of Pizza Hut corporate, right? Yeah. So I've got to work with more than 100 franchise owners to make sure that the values I'm trying to drive in the corporate headquarters are driven in an organization that I can't control. Like, we're not a joint employer. But consider how many frontline workers work in our restaurants all across this country. People who are cooks and delivery drivers and, and, and shift managers and, and cashiers and the like, right? And so there's a deep experience of like working next to these folks who come from all different parts of the country and all different perspectives on this conversation to be intentional about what we're talking about. To have conversation, I've had more one-on-one conversations with 
with people who have not looked like me in the last four months that I've probably had the rest of my life with this level of intentionality yeah. because I know that their employees who are 70% not white men depend on leaders to make sure that we are pushing and trying to build the organization to be what it needs to be in all these different nooks and crannies. But I'm not done there. There's another, there's another piece. Just stick with me for a second. Um, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Okay, perfect. I can see you. It's great. Um, as a franchisor, we're also a business, right? Yeah. So, but let's talk about you in that pizza for a second. I don't want to give the exact number, but like one of the things that I've looked at is there's a really meaningful number of black and Latino people who eat a ton of pizza, but aren't choosing us yet. Dumani's not, not black. A, he has a skin condition. Um, is it Reed Vitiligo? The opposite yeah, that's of what it, Michael Jackson got? Precisely. <laughs> I mean, I have been accused of not being black or black enough my entire life. Yeah, so, sure. um, there's an episode on that. There's a whole episode. Yeah. I've been there. Um, but when we look at that, we know that it's not so much like, oh, how do I do this unlock enterprise value? It does unlock enterprise value. Yeah. But as we think about what it means to show up in market spaces, like we've got to be a brand that's deeply accessible to people. If we're going to go to a voice strategy, we got to make sure that our phone services can speak Spanish, right? Yeah. If we're going to go and make sure that we're going to go to, we're going to drive a lot of business to our website, we've got to have a Spanish language website. If we're going to purport to be the brand that is America's favorite pizza, we got to really reckon with what America looks and feels like. And that's got to show up in how we message. It's got to show up in how we deliver our products. Yeah. It's got to show up in all these different things. And what happens when you do work like this for people who are, there are some people who are led by moral clarity. Like I'm one of them. Moral clarity is a critical driver to me as we think about this whole issue. There are some people who have to be brought there. I don't, I don't fault them for it, but have to be brought there through understanding market reactions because that's the way they understand people who may not be like them, right? Yeah. And as you help people understand what it means to purpose yourself against this type of work and the way you can unlock enterprise value for them, then what we're doing is we're saying, okay, well, if we're going to be the most accessible brand in the country, who do we need to have at the table? Who do we need to give the keys to? Who do we need to share power with to make sure that we actually can unlock that, right? And so doing that helps us resonate in the communities that we're trying to serve more vividly, but also helps us resonate with opportunities that we create for people who don't always have access to the corridors of power that exist. So that's something in that franchise world. It's almost like the uh, only way to unseat and disrupt institutional racism is to go into institutions and create new systems that yeah. combat against it like you guys are pizza hut is an institution right they are yeah. a they are an organization but they're also an institution institutional racism a thing and institutions have to unseat and disrupt their own racism to be able to speak to the institutional racism that exists writ large yeah. and, I, and it seems like that's you guys are saying this is our corner of the world yeah it's a larger corner than some Here's how we are going to fight for what the just and verdant world should look like. And we're going to create that world within the 1500 franchisors, within the company culture that we've created here. And is the expectation that that will then bleed out into the world or are you actively pushing that out into the world? Well, the, the last bucket that I was going to talk about is, is, the, is like the neighbor piece. Like it deeply matters to us who we are outside of our four walls as well. And so, you know, one of the things I'm really proud of with Yum, Yum has invested $100 million over the next five years for this, this principle that we call unlocking opportunity. And so what we're really talking about is, is the way we frame this is fighting inequality for frontline workers 
and communities through the lenses of education, equity, and entrepreneurship. Those are three lanes that really give us space to play in an intentional way. Now, what's really great about young guys is that they aren't like, now go do it this way. The charge is to take mm-hmm. that and go do it in a way that's intentional and authentic to our brand. And so what we're actually doing is we're setting up a social purpose enterprise, a social impact infrastructure that we really haven't had before. That's not just about how do we do nice things, but it's really allowing us to show up and partner with people in a deep way that the brand gets to work with credible, local, on the ground experts to not just give them money, not just give them time, but to partner with them and hopefully generate research and generate approaches that set the standard for how QSR responds to some of the issues that people face. And so a big lens of that is frontline workers, but when we look at the communities that that, that frontline workers come from and that we serve as well, we know that, that a lot of times those are folks who have massive opportunities that with more intentionality behind policy, with more purpose behind the way that we approach solutions for, for these communities, some things can be unlocked for them. And so we believe that by being thoughtful about that and trying to lead um, as a market actor on that, we can set the table, we can have more people join us and do it in their own way, and we can turn the lights on across the private sector. Now, to your point, though, uh, Damani, about, you know, the, the institutional racism point, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't believe, I'm not one of these people that's like, you have to infiltrate a system only to whatever, like, because, like, you do have to be careful with that sometimes, because you can also find yourself poisoned. But I do think that, like, we recognize that, it's, like, we, we, we have said it in certain contexts, we recognize that some institutions are inherently broken. And we think that as we try to be the type of employer, franchisor, neighbor that we think we're called to be, it does require us to be honest about that and to take inventory and to see what we're being invited into in this moment to try to do some things differently. We can't do everything as a pizza company, but there's something that we can do because we've got something in our bag. Everybody's got something in their bag. So we're trying to see what it looks like to empty that out and figure it out along the way. It's dope. So with 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 that said, <clears throat> one of the things I know you're also very interested in, you talked about this, um, well, I, I like to think about it as uh, nation building. And and I say it I say it like that intentionally because uh, one of the things that was a little bit frustrating with Amazon um, most recently and how they were trying to choose where their headquarters was going to go and how they did it, yeah. I think uh, to the point you brought up a really interesting quote. Um, if you could tell me a little bit, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you said something uh, to the tune of sixty or so percent of people um, today feel as though uh, CEOs and, you know, leaders of corporation, um, it's almost like they trust them more even than elected office, right? Yeah. There, there are two studies. There's a Havas Meaningful Brand study and then an Edelman study. I forget which one said which, but there are yeah. two things I think a lot about. One is that 55% of, of consumers believe that brands can move society forward more than the government can. Mm. And the other one is that two-thirds of folks are buying based on what they what they think brands stand for. There you go. And so the point was like there's one is a deep recognition of vacuums that exist in our society today right. that, that, that people like us can step into. And also, like, it's not just the business imperative, but like if you're talking about being in community with your consumers, it's clear what folks are expecting and inviting and demanding of us beyond the pizza transaction. Right. So that goes back to that responsibility thing. You know, we, we didn't yeah. get rid of the Washington Redskins until FedEx said, yo, y'all probably need to shift things or we're pulling the dollars. Right. And then all of a sudden we have the Washington football team uh, after 20, 30, you know, at 20 plus years of, of 
people having this be a really Stupid public name. and large conversation. Dumb name. Dumb name. You need, I, don't need even, I don't even care about sports. Yeah. You know, y'all know I don't care about sports. I know, I know. It's not your When name. Heather told me that the name of the Washington football team was the Washington Washington football football team. Yeah. I was like, you're telling me <laughs> that in this great state of Washington, wait, are they in the state? No. Or in the, are they? Yeah, I don't even know. See, it's a sports. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. The great state of Washington, D.C. Oh, okay. In the great district of Columbia, there is no one with the creative uh, insight, the the mental fortitude to come up with a better name than the place that it is, which confused me because I thought it was the state, and the name of the thing. Yeah. You guys are now, Pizza Hut is now the Texas Pizza Company. Look. Yo, and the thing is, you know, I think he's being, I think he's being salty, which is, you know, he's like, you know, Snyder, um, team owner. It feels like he's being a little salty. I was like, you can do yeah. better, bro. He's like, no, 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 yeah. y'all, don't, like, y'all, no, don't, gonna, oh. y'all don't, y'all don't, y'all don't want, y'all don't want the, y'all don't want the Redskins. So uh, we're just gonna be the football company. We're gonna be the football, football company. company. It's like, I don't like it. Well, shut up. Well, shut up. How about that? You'll shut your mouth. Um, so I don't know. I've never heard Snyder talk. I have no idea if that's his accent. Is that even what he sounds like? I don't even know. I don't even know. He's probably got a much better accent than that. But, but there's an opportunity to the point that you bring up. Like, it's not just your own practices. You could just with the weight that you have, uh, the way that corporations can even, uh, direct physical space and, you know, um, physically re I think redefine geography in, in the places where they are, right? Whether you're building a headquarters or whether you're building a, you know, whether you're buying a warehouse or, or whether you're thinking about, you know, if we're going to go into a community physically, then these are some of the things that I want to see uh, when, you know, negotiating with cities. Is, is that something that's a part of your, that's a part of your, your, your calculus, right? Is that part of your toolkit? Yeah, I mean, as we think about, uh, well, let me let me say, I'm not like, I'm not going in, I'm not in the space yet where I'm going in and like negotiating with an office of economic development right. to say, yeah. do da da da. But you know, as we continue, to, as we have an Im- ambition set on growth, like any company, right? Yeah. Um, there are some real deep opportunities to be intentional alongside our franchisees about where we're putting spaces, mm-hmm. what it looks like to build something for people and not just something that's happening to people um what it looked because here's what here's what we say right yeah um we say that when we you know i believe i believe and be very precise i believe that when we build our restaurants we're building more than just stores to slang pizza out of i think we're building communities i think we're building pathways to possibility for some people i think we have we have learned that we're building safe spaces for some folks i've been hearing this is some of our culture belonging work um, that we rolled out here last year. Like I just went through some, uh, had 28,000 survey results of folks that took the course and like recognized how much more important as a social space some of our restaurants are to people. And so it's even more critical that like mm-hmm. at our headquarters and our stores, we create spaces where people feel like they belong. So as we go about thinking about that, what we try to do is figure out what does it mean to be deeply aware of all the ways in which we can impact people north to south, east to west. And in doing that, figuring out what 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 comes from that, and I, I'm bullish on what that can look like, and I'm excited to say that as I think about that now, I know we've not scratched the surface of what all the things are that that could mean. As we try to go into some cities that I have in mind, where 
Yeah. Some people don't want to play yet because they're the inner city. And we think that we have an opportunity to go win there with like a black franchisee or a brown franchisee or someone who can step into a space and yeah. build something for that community that that community can rally around and do it under the banner of our brand. Like we're excited mm-hmm. about some potential like that and what all it could mean. Um, how do you define creativity? Yeah, I, you know, I question whether I was like qualified to define to, to define it because I don't know that I've ever considered myself a creative, but I think I've come up with some pretty creative solutions to things. Uh-huh. I think it's basically this idea of like you use an idea or a thing or a concept, something like tangible or intangible, and you take it and you turn it into something else that somebody else can experience. And so it's like, I try not to use the, I try not to be circular and be like, use create in a definition for creativity. Yeah, yeah. So if you take, you take this thing and you are molding it into some medium that people can experience and then go do something with. And so one example could be freestyle rap, right? Like I'm taking words and then you can experience it this way. Or like a, you know, you, I wrote, a, I wrote a, a random love letter to my wife. Like I thought that was pretty creative as well. I took this thing that I feel for her and generated something that she could experience do something with. So the capacity to do that is creativity. And I will push back Please. on the statement that you made, not about the definition of creativity, but about you saying that you've struggled with the idea of thinking yourself as creative. Um, stay with me for a second. Walk with me. You, you, you literally work in a position that did not exist before you took it. <laughs> like... You're the first one, sir. BC, I'm not being sacrilegious. BC, before Shaquan, (laughs) there was no C E Q O. I don't want to get you fired again. No, there was no CEO. Um, They had one, but they didn't have one. They didn't have one. And then someone came to you and said, We want to do a thing that doesn't exist, and we're going to give it to you. Go make it, go create. A thing. Yeah. So, bruh, creativity is, you, you t- talk about the fact that it is using, in, you said, and I quote, the ability to use thoughts, feelings, or tangible things to craft materials or experiences that can be used by others. I'm going to rephrase that. The ability to use thoughts to create a department that does not exist, to speak to people's feelings, to create tangible things like pizza so we can craft materials like spaces or experiences like the consumption of pizza that can be used by the people who do who use those things. Yeah. So, would you therefore say that you just defined yourself? <laughs> I, you know what? You there, there's something to what you're saying. You're damn right. There's there's something to what you're saying. You're damn right. <laughs> I because I, because the other thing is this, <clears throat> I you know we talked about it earlier. You didn't come from. You, you, it's not like you you were raised. I was born in a pizza. <laughs> I was born <laughs> in a pizza hut. Right. And so, like, you know, given all of that, uh, when they hired you, they didn't hire you because you knew anything about pizzas. They actually didn't hire you because you knew anything about franchising, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> you you right. know that. But that they hire well because they hire for these core traits. And that's absolutely that's the sauce, right? That's why we're. That's why we've had this podcast because we really want people to see these things and draw it yeah. out. Um, you know, because it, I'll just say you're a rising star in the organization, and it wasn't because you just you know came out of the pizza factory, um, <laughs> straight up. The, the, the pizza mill, the, the pizza, the pizza executive mill, right? Like that's just not how it worked. Um, but here we are. Here we are, and we're really grateful that you're sitting in that seat. I can't wait to see some yeah. of the dope 
stuff that you are already working on and that that's about to come. I mean, like I've already seen an impact and people have said, you know, I've when you have people say like, I've never thought about it like that or wow, he said something that changed my life. Right. Like these are these actual quotes that have come from uh, you just in the short period of time, uh, the months that you've been there already. So um, big ups. Big ups, big up, big up. Um, um, and now we've come to I got a good my one favorite part. I got a good one. I got a good of one. Of casually one. creative, um, it's something that we like to do <clears throat> where we come at you with hot fire. The first thing that comes off <laughs> like the dome. Dylan, 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 Again, why do rap songs think that's what gunshots sound like? Exactly. I'm not sure. I've that's, that's never a, that's heard a, that's an automatic gun. weapon. What is it, a bubble? It's a bubble. It's a, like a super soaker. Um, so straight up, we're going to be uh, coming at you with questions. you got to give us the first answer that comes right off the dome, tip of the tongue. Okay. Right, First thing that comes out, is it's, it's supposed to be rapid fire, and that's what's going to happen. This is Quickly Creative. Okay, got to get backstory. This is... Tied to pizza. All right, here we go. Okay, sure. Pizza Hut's fighting for equality. Shaquan leads the charge, building out a diverse team. When the evil racists attack, Shaquan smacks them with the pepperoni stack. Quickly created, quickly oh created, quickly created. Howard Harvard educated, <laughs> black men powered. <laughs> And he got on orange like Michelangelo. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. For those that don't know, that was that hot fire as influenced by something from our collective childhood, the pizza-loving teenage mutant ninja turtles. Yeah. That was written during the course of this episode. It really You're was. Welcome, it really America. was. It was impressive. Bars. Yo, and, and real talk, um, um, some of the young bloods might not even know like about this, they don't. this version of the... You know, that wasn't for them. That was that 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 was a space that I held for us. They need to get in that. <laughs> okay. All right. So here we go. You ready? Here we go. Yeah. We're coming at it. it. Kind of three. One, two, three. Alphas or kappas? Alphas. Kappas or turtles? Turtles. <laughs> oh my god. Turtles. <laughs> All day. All day. <laughs> new watch or new kicks? New watch. Favorite Southern rapper? Probably oh. Juvie, honestly. Juvie. Yeah. Juvie. All right, cool. I'm, I'm putting Texas in a different category. Of course, that's fair. that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. You went you Louisiana. Um, all right, best kid story off the top of the top of the dome. Best story from your kids. Oh, about, about my kids? Yeah, about your kids. Um... That's a great example. I mean, a great question. Um, so let's see. Oh, this morning. <laughs> <laughs> this morning I was driving. <laughs> I was driving Carter to school, and yeah. so Whitney had Whitney had read this book to him about about Mar- about Martin Luther King last yeah. night. And so he was like, um, he's like very literal about. First of all, how old is Carter? Three. All right, go. He was like, Dad. And so, um, so, Mommy told me that 
uh, Martin Luther King was having some issues with the police. I was like, yeah, that's, that's right. He goes, he's a preacher, right? I was like, yeah. He goes, well, why didn't he just tell God and Jesus to fix the police? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've been asking. Mm, right. I mean, uh, goes, I mean that's, a, then, that's a great question. And then he goes, did they put God and Jesus in jail? And I was like, wow. well, I was like, no, you can't put God and Jesus in jail unless they want to go to jail. He goes, but did Jesus, die? but then did Jesus die? And I was like, you need to go to school. You like, you like abort, abort mission. We're here now. It was like, actually, he's, there's he's two like, more. Blocks. Not. No, he's like, did you hear this music? Listen to this new song by by Juvie. This is so great, ba- baby <laughs> shark. Listen to her. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Baby shark, baby shark, right? Come on, Carter, sing it with me, all together now. You got a mind, Grandpa Shark, huh? <laughs> all right, here we go. We still going. Biggest foil, Papa John's or Pizza Inn? <laughs> you trying to get him in trouble? I am trying, trying to get him to... in trouble. Damani, answer for uh... him. Uh, I grew up. I didn't not grow up with Pizza Inn, Papa John. Oh, you said Pizza Inn. All right, I said all right. not Pizza Inn. Oh, not okay. pizza. All right. Got I'm it. not even sure they. I'm not sure they deliver. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you got to go in to get your pizza. Yeah, I'm not sure. In. <laughs> you got to check in at the front desk. Hi, I'm here to pick up uh, room two three seven. Yeah. No, it depends. That's the answer. Whenever you Google, like, does do they deliver? Depends. Depends. <laughs> All right. Um, favorite black woman from history. Mm. God, that's a really good one, man. Right now, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on, uh, I'm on Shirley Chisholm pretty hard right now. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. Cool. It's the glasses. It's not the glasses. It's, it's, it's what she it's did. The, I think it's the haircut. Yeah, it's the haircut. It's the haircut with it's the hair and the glasses. glasses. Like it's like they go like it's just it's, it's just, a whole thing. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Yeah, no, no, no. You're right. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, and 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 I think Stacey Abrams is a superhero. Absolutely, there's no question. Let's go ahead and call it history, especially since this, what she last week some. is history, right? She like, just made some. I mean, this week has been history. We know that. All right, it's historic. <clears throat> All right, last one, last one, probably yeah. the biggest and deepest one: Kappa or broccoli? <laughs> broccoli. <laughs> broccoli, of course. Broccoli. Broccoli. <laughs> I, that was so ab- petty. Absolutely. That was so petty. Hands Yo, down, broccoli, so... bro. And, and Brussels sprouts and green beans and frozen green beans. And frozen green beans. <laughs> not, even, not even the kind you snapped off. The, 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 not the, the, not, not even the kind you snapped with your mama uh, sitting on the back porch. Yeah. Nah, frozen ones. Yeah, nah, Kappa's or Vienna sausage. Vienna sausages. You didn't even have to finish. I don't, don't even need crackers. Don't come shimmying at me, guys. Don't come shimmying my way. I don't want, I don't want, any, I don't want any crimson smoke. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want you to drop him. I don't want. I don't want nobody dropping a mirror and, and having glass. Yo, jumping up on me or nothing. Like that. So, what, so what did you? I guess the question has to be asked, Shaquan. What did you pledge? I'm an. I'm an alpha. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I mean, that was assumed, yeah, but I just I'm wanted alpha. to make sure. I'm right. It's really important. It's really important. And I, I, I just, just to be clear, I just need to see where where he lied on the on the cap of preference spectrum, right? So what we know is that it's below broccoli. It's below um, turtles. <laughs> Okay, now this, I mean, uh, we Kappas or Pizza Inn? Yeah. <laughs> no, Kappas, okay, all right, hand, all right. That's... Hand me a cane, okay? Okay. okay. <laughs> it's somewhere between Pizza Inn and Turtles. 
dope <laughs> and dope. broccoli. Yo, listen, listen. Um, one, we, we we should clarify. We have some of our best friends. Some of our best friend our is turtles. Kappa. Oh, and also like broccoli. That's it's, why it's funny because like is Kappa. Yeah, yeah. That's why it's hilarious. Um, one, of my awesome. man, one of my closest mentors is Kappa. I about to say yeah. Like you, we we've we've had a Kappa on here before we even had an Alpha. Uh, Who is a Kappa? Michael Sorrell. He's he's. Ah, uh, oh, I forgot. Yeah, about yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So we we love Kappas, y'all. We love y'all. We Big love old y'all. Kappa. Big old cap. What that big old cap? He, he, he is a big old cap. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a big. He's, he's a big old cap. He's, he's, I want you. To, I want you to walk up. To him and, that's one of those people. It's like cappas or broccoli, and you look up at him and you're like, uh, <laughs> now, now Shaquan, Shaquan would look up to him, pause, and say, broccoli. <laughs> but whisper it, <laughs> whisper it. Write it, write it on his shirt. <laughs> on his shirt that he's Shaquan, wearing. Brag on yourself. This is yeah. going. Brag on yourself. This is brag on yourself time. Brag on yourself. Brag bro. on yourself. Tell people what they need to know about you. Point them at websites. Tell them about you about to drop a hot fire new mixtape. Um, whatever. Brag on yourself. <laughs> or on Pizza Hut. Which this is your moment. Well, listen, look, I'm obviously definitely proud of the brand. And yeah. I think that, you know, we, we, we got stuff that allows us to show up for families in a really unique way. So, like, everybody do what Damani did and, like, go have some. I think it's important. As far as me, like, you know, there's some things I've done that I'm proud of. Like, I've, you know, I've, I've written some intentional pieces in the Dallas Morning News that are still out there. I still get yeah. you know, people still hitting up about it sometimes. Um, maybe time to drop another one of those as well. So, you know. I like I, I like writing and appreciate the opportunities I've had to, to communicate my thoughts in written form. I don't know what else. I don't know. Nah, man, that's good. That's good. Go look him up. Go look him up. He's, he's well, and we'll also put him in the show notes. We'll we'll drop links to him. Yeah, in the show no notes. doubt, no doubt. He's he's not super active on social. That's why anytime he writes something, you know, everybody says something about it. Uh, like, what's what are you doing? What's yeah. that over there? Are those words by Shaquan? It's like Beyonce <laughs> dropped something. It's like Beyonce dropped. Uh, she dropped a new album or a new. Uh, Shaquanse video. Oh, Shaquanse! That's what I'm calling his social media yeah, presence. Also, from here. Oh. I am also. Yeah, I'm sorry, Shaquan. Uh, that is what I will refer to you as from now on. I will try my best to not do that in 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 uh, ah, professional spaces. Sorry. But I say I will try. Uh, nah, you Shaquanse. Yeah, Shaquanse. It is what it is. All right, man. Look, we really appreciate you coming on the show, bro. You've given us more than enough time. We really, truly appreciate you. And, uh, um, you know, and we're going to keep it fresh. This is what we do. Casually Creative coming through with some of the best minds showing up in uh, in creativity, showing up in all these different ways. So this has been Byron Sanders, President and CEO of Big Thought and... Damani Daniel, J. Damani Daniel, Chief Imaginator at The Event Nerd. Appreciate y'all for listening. Like us, share us, subscribe to us anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Come through, casually create. Hey, mama. Y'all stay dope. Stay dope. Casually Creative was produced by Heather Daniel of SweetRebel.com. Its intro and outro music were composed by Ezekiel Daniel and produced by Marcus Reddick and Dean Talbert. Feel free to check us out online at www.casuallycreative.co. Everyone living is a type of creative. Everyone's got a limit they can create Some people code them for some people is If you can see it in your mind, you can